Now, our never-ending pop culture road trip takes us from New York to a small paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We're like friends. I am Chandler and Joey, and Dwight is Kramer. The Pop Six takes a look at one of the most celebrated comedies of the century, The Office. Put my stuff in Jello again. I like waking up to the smell of bacon. Sue me. Boy, have you lost your mind? Cause I'll help you find it. Ryan started the fire. I'm in love with you. What? What you want? A cookie? You always left me satisfied and smiling. Well, folks, it's been a few weeks, and believe me, we have heard you. We have, it's been a little bit busy around these parts, but this is the Pop 6, courtesy of 104.5 The Zone, part of the Big 6 brand, whatever that is. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Joined by David Reed of the Midday 180 and Squared Circle Radio and your hearts. And Rhett Bryan of Titans Radio and your your hearts and your (laughs) dreams, even better. You've got draft prep and you're all over the place. And David Reed is babysitting all of his babies, which means Arvey, Paul Kaharski, and others. One of those is an actual dog. Uh, the, the other big, one is Arby. The, the big six, the big six brand, uh, doing better than the big baller brand. I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, we don't have I shoes though. We don't have shoes. We don't have merch of any hey, kind yet. Maybe you, that'll change. If you can't do it right. It's better not to do it at all. Yeah, let me say this: uh, no ugly shoe versus an ugly shoe. You're winning. Fair point. So we were more than a little overwhelmed by the. Uh, reaction to the first Office Pop 6. The Friends stuff did really, really well, and we were happy with that, so we said, okay, we're going to keep doing this. I know some of the ones we have kind of in the hopper to look at down the line. We're going to do a long one on Lost, but it's going to take time to watch that show in order to actually do it. We're going to do Saved by the Bell, which is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, We're going to have a blast doing these, but The Office... We're going to do three and four today, seasons three and four today, and I spent a lot of time over the last few days kind of going through season three in particular, and my word, folks, this was great television. Like, when you get to this point, you could just feel a confidence exuding from everybody on camera, everybody behind the scenes. Some of these episodes, like right out of the gates, after Gay Witch Hunt, which of course was a lot of fun, and the Oscar stuff and just Michael trying to be as he usually is. Oh, I'm totally open-minded. And then not really knowing what open-minded means and going about it the wrong way. They go to Philadelphia. Michael and Dwight go to Philadelphia for a convention, like an office supplies convention. This is one of the best episodes of the series to me because you've got this jackass Josh who runs the Stanford branch because that's sort of the early stage storyline is there's two branches. One of them's not going to make it. Josh seems like the perfect boss, looks like a million bucks, cares about the job, sets all these meetings. Meanwhile, Michael Scott is worried about a party in room 308 where he has way too much liquor <laughs> in a very generational hotel room. interest in my party. Yes. And, and not, not enough people. And, of course, Jim begins the season in Stanford. And he leaves because of Pam, because he puts it all on the line at the end of season two, gets rejected for a second time, and he leaves. And you know, basically, from the get-go, that both of them still want to be around the other. And Pam actually wants Jim, didn't know how to handle all this, but now she's broken off her engagement with Roy, which was the obstacle that they had to get through. But the convention to me, 
and gay witch hunt too, but the convention from more of a larger storyline perspective is where the office kind of took another jump. As good as two was compared to one, three began to really make me care more about these characters. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought the convention. It's obviously the the second episode of that season. Uh, I was just making notes about my favorite ones that I frequent, and the convention's one of them. Yeah. Because of the storylines, you know, if we think about it, Pam is going on a date. She's been set up a blind date with... Uh, a cartoonist. Yeah, that's right. Kelly Kapoor's friend, uh, a cartoonist who takes himself way too seriously. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, Michael being 12-year-old, please like me, Michael, is worried about, you know, Jim leaving because he wants to go work for Charles Esten, uh, Chip uh, <laughs> Esten, who is uh, Josh, the much cooler... Um, you know, branch manager of Stanford, Connecticut. And uh, you've got all that going on uh, and just the stuff that happens at the convention, the party and all convention that. You know, is one of those classic awkward yes. office episodes where you feel real sympathy for Michael Scott. Like you feel sorry for him because now you're starting to see a guy that actually wants to be liked, but for reasons more than just to be powerful and some of the ways that maybe it appeared in the first season, he just wants friends. He wants to be popular. You can tell he probably wasn't. He goes the extra mile or he thinks he's going the extra mile. But at this point, he's still got the selfish gene. He wants to be noticed more than he wants to be known. And it gets him in a lot of trouble. But the hotel room party and just the fact that the hammer mill deal, the hammer mill guy shows up and he kind of turned something there. Obviously, the Jan thing is still a, a back and forth for him. But. To me, the convention is, and it did a 7.78 rating. Now, the first episode of the season did a 9.1. It jumped a little bit from season two. It did not, like, blow completely out of the water, but the lead-in for The Office at this point was a little show called My Name is Earl, which Jason Lee was a star of, which was a dynamo of a show for NBC that I don't think anybody saw coming. I did not see My Name is Earl being what it was, but Jason Lee and Ethan Supley... This was a great show with uh, Jamie Presley on it, and it was totally different from The Office. So it was kind of a <laughs> yeah. weird lead-in, but it was certainly, you got a lot of different comedy in one night. I, I was wondering how much of an audience those two shows actually shared. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. But the, the the convention to me, again, is one of those things where there's so many people out there who can relate because they've been to conventions in whatever industries or fields of work that they're in before, and this I thought, again, captured the essence of what a lot of these things are. Uh, there's business getting done there, but there's also people like Michael Scott who just oh, want to yeah. go out there and hang out and have fun and drink a little bit. Yeah. Famously, when I worked at GameStop and was a store <laughs> manager, we had our annual deal. For, for years, it was in Vegas. Then it was in Texas. And there would be a handful of store managers every year that would be fired at the annual manager's Due to conference. their actions at the Yeah, convention. one, a couple of them that were swimming in the hotel fountain after too much alcohol. Oh, wow. Naked, they okay. lost their jobs. Uh, it was a number of different things. But the one thing that I thought was interesting about this, and maybe this is me thinking way too deeply into it, which I've been known to do from time to time, uh, is why would Dunder Mifflin Paper Company be having meetings with, like, Uniball and all of these other things. Like, it seems like they're in meetings all day. For what purpose exactly? They sell paper generally to, like, private clients and various people that would use paper. It seems like the overlap here, I don't know why Dunder Mifflin would be there except to, like, have an exhibit. Like, here's our paper. 
that's what you usually see is like mm-hmm. vendors. I remember when uh, Al and Tim on Home Improvement went to like a, a tool deal. That makes sense because they're there and they're looking at tools and they're going to pick what they're going to put on the show and what's Benford got and all of this. This is this is a paper company. Let me, let me say this: uh, it, it was the Midwest paper, market size paper convention, uh, you know, an office supply convention. So maybe that puts it in context. But I think the you went you hit it on, on it already with with Michael Scott with getting the deal to land the deal with Hammer Mill to sell Hammer Mill products, right? Taking it and from so staples. that I think they put that in there on two reasons, like maybe three reasons. One to show that Michael even blindly some sometimes in a Forrest Gump rather be lucky than good kind of way falls into something great it re-raises his profile with Jan as that relationship goes along and it just kind of ties in why they're there well uh, this little you know fledgling paper company now has a, a national supplier uh, you know well they've never you know cuz Josh says it I think well they've never allowed us to sell their product well they do now yeah and what's interesting about that is if you look later on, when they decide they're going to close Scranton, and we'll talk about this in more detail in a minute, and then Josh gets offered the job, and he says, let me cut you off right there. I'm not taking the job. You know where he says he's going? Staples. Interestingly enough, he's talking about Staples right here in episode two, referring to, no, Hammer Mill's exclusive to Staples. Maybe there's a meeting that happens right there. I have no idea why I think this way. There's no reason why I should care about this. Like this has nothing to do That's good thought by with you, anything, though. but it's the same company. And then it comes yeah. up, you know, five, six episodes later. That's what basically saves Scranton. Even though Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute are hanging outside David Wallace's house for hours and hours and hours <laughs> and do nothing and then decide that they did it. And then finally Michael Scott in a moment of self realization says how did we do it? They realized, well, they didn't, but they don't realize it, and it's fine. But the convention was good. Then you move on to different stuff. You move on to, well, Ed Truck's death and oh. that episode, which is where you find out, okay, Michael Scott cares, first of all. This was sort of his mentor, the guy that taught him everything he knew. The only thing I thought about when I saw this, there were two things that I thought about. One episode of the Cosby Show from the very first season where they had a funeral for, I want to say it was a gerbil or a hamster. It could have been a fish. It may have been Rudy's fish. Rudy's and Rudy, fish. like in the middle yeah. of it, she was just like, I'm hungry. And she just wants to go eat right in the middle of the funeral. And the other one was Full House. Also a fish died. Almost the exact same plot line. Here, well, first it's Ed Struck being decapitated and how was it that michael scott referred to it when he said it his his cap was de de something attained or something he like totally botched the word trying to explain it and then the bird happened and then he said toby killed this bird first Mm. of all and then there comes a bird funeral and nobody seems to understand the importance of it except the one person that should have and that's pam who makes that box who makes that coffin basically that memorial and that's that's one of those moments where those two players, and I mentioned this when we did our first episode, the highest person in the office is Michael Scott. He's the one that, the regional branch manager. And then the receptionist at the front desk is Pam. They're as far away from one another as one could humanly be. And right here, it's Pam coming up the ladder to hand him something that he has to come down to receive. And in that moment, I think you started to see the inkling of a bond and also you saw 
Pam's kind of an awesome person. It was the first time in the series where another character is finally starting to realize there's more to Michael Scott than just this overbearing boss who says the wrong things at inappropriate times. There's actually a human in there that has feelings for something other than himself. Yeah, and the side story to that actually is really good, and that is Jim and Karen trying to find the hers chips. Yes. Yes. That's yeah. a re- and that shows how likable Jim is. At the same time, because Karen kind of gets chewed out by Josh in that meeting, right? And Jim's kind of forced to play the <coughs> kiss ass the yes. way that Ed Helms points it out, the way Andy yes. points it out, and then the rest of the episode, Jim pretty much does whatever he can just to make Karen Filippelli feel and like she fell all for right. him right there oh, yeah, on the spot. She was moving back to Scranton. No, she was moving to Scranton for the first time without even thinking about it. But I, one thing that's overlooked in the the bird funeral, a sweet rendition of Jeffrey Osborne's "On the Wings of Love," played by one Dwight Kurt Schrute on his recorder. He had some good skills on that thing. It was awesome. And Pam's like, "Play something on your recorder." Do you have it always? <laughs> I haven't had my recorder. My parents still have my recorder in a box of mementos from, I think that thing was probably dusted off the last time in first grade. Yeah. My, uh, my recorder is sitting on top of my refrigerator at home right now. Are you serious? Yes. It was in, it was in the control room here for the longest time. You still play hot cross buns on it? I, yeah, no, I, uh, did a rendition of John Cena's theme song for the video. Oh, that's right. That's right. Awesome. So what do we remember playing on the recorder? Uh, ta ta t t ta was that <laughs> hot cross buns was the first what thing we learned. What was the uh, called it macaroni? What am I thinking of right now? Like Yankee George Doodle Washington, Andy. Yankee Doodle. That's yeah. one of the ones that I will always remember. Man, I can't believe I forgot Yankee Doodle. That's an embarrassment. <laughs> we skipped one thing that I think was also pretty cool that happened the episode before the grief counseling episode, and that was Call of Duty mattering in Stanford. <laughs> I remember one of the first. One of my old friends that just got into the office a little bit later on, when it was airing, though, said, did you see the Call of Duty stuff in the office? Like, yeah, I did. At this point, I was working at GameStop as a manager, as a store manager. So I certainly cared about this at this point. It was kind of incredible to me. To me, this is where Karen fell for Jim because Jim was sort of the aw shucks guy that didn't understand the game, didn't realize they were playing teams, which is upsetting Andy. You saw Josh call them in for that sort of strategy meeting. Jim thought it was work-related, but no, it was battle planning. Yes. What gun are you using? Sniper rifle? Oh, tuna! And Andy just <laughs> furious about it. And I can relate because I suck at first-person shooters. And one of the reasons I didn't play much Call of Duty is because of me being Jim Halpert in that moment. <laughs> Those uh, I never got into those games. One because they made me dizzy, like just the way those yeah, I have to games. Take motion sickness pills yeah. to play first person shooters, but legitimately to this day. That that early on in in season three, that and along with the convention, it was the first times we actually started to see product placement in in, yes. in this series. Yes, which means that it was really starting to get eyeballs and really starting to take off. Because at the convention, you talked about Hammer Meal, BlackBerry. Uh, Uniball. The, Uniball. The Steelers had just won the Super Bowl. How do we yeah. forget that in a sports station? And that's then, right. Yeah, and then Call of Duty shows up. Can in, I tell people you're going to be there? No. <laughs> that I think that shows the how huge first-person shooter games are, though. Oh, you think about that goodness, episode man. first aired October the 5th of 06. Here yep. we are 13 years later almost, and they're just as big as they ever have mm-hmm. been. But, I mean, that's a while back there, and that was one of those first – 
Uh, it was that. big, big. I mean, Grand Theft Auto is one of my favorites just because it's terrible for all kinds of reasons. It's, it's, and, it's bad for all kinds of reasons, but, man, you can get yourself lost in it. I played Grand Theft Auto 4. Uh, pretty much that was my job. What I was doing to pay the bills was my hobby. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto was basically my job. I played it all night long. A couple of different versions. I played Vice City and I played 4 in particular forever. But this was one of the early Call of Duties. This was the time where the first-person shooter really came about because of Doom and Wolfenstein on PC. And then came a little game called Goldeneye on the Nintendo mm. 64. Yes, and we all sat there in four-player split screens, eyes bloodshot, drinking Jolt Cola, trying to stay <laughs> awake. Eating Pop Rocks, trying to make everything work at this point in time. And then came Halo. And then came Call of Duty. And then it just kind of continued to spiral yeah. from that point. But you're right about the Assassin's product placement. Creed. It did not expand, however, into like the soda machines. No, no, it didn't. The soft drink machine is kind of incredible with like the rainbow yes. across it. And yes. they're just drinking grape soda and random stuff and whatever in the world hers chips are. You not had, you never had Hearst chips? I haven't. Oh, they're great. They're yeah, real. They really yeah. are. Yeah, they're real. Oh yes. Oh, you're Absolutely. getting you're getting some Hearst chips. The other thing that we notice that? in that episode that's like the only thing that's actually a name brand. In oh, there. see, I thought yeah. it was like their version of Uts or no, something no, like no. that. No, they're a real chip, yeah, and they're, they're actually real. good. Oh, okay. David's right. Okay. The other thing we start to see in that episode as Ed Helms' character, the Nard Dog, comes into view. There is I love Ed the Helms. <laughs> early signs of his anger problems. Yeah, what was the first? What was the first signal of well, that? The Call of Duty stuff. Yeah, the Call like of Duty stuff. At, right, at right. Because not, when we get to the merger, he just loses it in the break room. He's just an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, Andy Bernard, you're right. Like you see the anger problem, but he's also got that extremely lucid, really want to be loved side. Mm -hmm. In terms of when Jim sings when they're all drunk that night, when they have to stay there for until after midnight, and Jim sings along with him, and he gets up, he's like tuna are you kidding me and he's like so happy that he's found somebody because andy bernard strikes you similarly to michael scott as somebody that wants to be sort of the life of the party but probably spends a whole lot of time at home in a recliner mm -hmm. dreaming of how he could make that dream into a reality taking shots drinking the uh singing the indigo girls and karen's <laughs> able to hold on to her liquor and the other two are, of course, really drunk. Did Karen actually drink? I she thought they were going to reveal that she, she was kept dumping, dumping it out, right? Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. okay. I, I missed it off the side, but that's that's what I thought because yeah. there's no way that they were going to let Rashida Jones <laughs> pull that off. And Rashida Jones is not going to last very long on the show because she's going to move to Parks and Recreation mm -hmm. where she was much better and her character was much better. And the problem with the Karen Filippelli character is the same problem that you have on most sitcoms that run a long time, and that is... All she really is is obstacle number four on the double dare course to keep Jim from pulling the orange flag that is Pam and vice versa. Yeah. She gets in the way to slow that down because they want this show to run longer and that's the number one thing that we're invested in. We might think the Michael Scott character or the Dwight Schrute character are the ones that are really keeping us laughing <clears throat> and keeping us watching, but what we're invested in is Jim and Pam from the very beginning and the fact that they move him away and then they put another attractive female there that's likable. That's the sad thing here. Most of the times they make these characters really unlikable. Karen Filippelli's not really unlikable. No, she's playing Call of Duty with the guys. She's unlikable yeah. for one reason. She's not Pam Beasley. Right, and that, that was the problem I had with the character because you were dividing my attention. Yeah. We had Pam 
who was by far the most attractive woman on the show. Agreed. And then you introduce Karen, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't I can't handle two attractive women at one time. <laughs> this has not been the way my life has gone. Especially with the level this. of uh, obesity on the male oh, cast yes. that had to like ogle oh, them yeah. Yeah. the whole time. You had Kevin, you had Stanley, you had the dude from Stanford that did not last because he couldn't take Michael oh, Scott as a boss. Tony. Pepperoni Tony. Tony. Tony Gardner. Tony because remember Gardner. Dwight Schrute was just like Fire him today. Fire Tony yes. Gardner today. <laughs> so good. But uh, we also had Dwight taking Riot to the Ryan to the Beat Farm to teach him oh, sales. Yeah. Yes, leaving him in the car. But actually, what was amazing about that is when you get to the end of it, and Ryan actually learned like three or four legitimate sales things through that. Like Dwight actually taught him something. <laughs> this wasn't just him messing with him. This was actually Dwight's way to try and teach him how to sell. That's incredible. And then the, again. Another great secondary plot, and this is something that The Office does really well when it's on fire. Pretzel Day is awesome because you don't have to spend too much time talking about it. All you got to do is keep showing Stanley being really excited about it. Greatest, and they always have that, like, 10-second one-liner before you go to the all-black credits. And all-black meaning black screen. Be careful here. That's clarification. Stanley, That's good. Just be real careful here because we're talking about That's Stanley. Yeah. That's what Michael Scott is in my ear. But uh, when he's like, 364 days, next pretzel day. And that's it. It's just like, that. put that on my tombstone when I die. I'll be pretty satisfied <laughs> with it. Again, again, one of those that's so relatable to a lot of people because when I was working at a large insurance company, uh, Chick-fil-A used to come around like once every two weeks. And we would count down the days until we could go to the break room and buy a Chick-fil-A sandwich for lunch. So, again, it's one of those moments where you're like, yeah, I, I can relate to that. It is. I would look forward to Pretzel Day too. It's corporate America. You're. I knew you would have a story, and I, I think back to when my wife and I first got married. She worked for a division of Ford Motor Credit in their repo and collections department in Cool Springs, and I don't know what the you know inter, uh, intermittent window was, but it was not very frequent. But there was an ice cream day where there was soft oh, serve yeah. there or whatever, and it was a big deal. So this is their version of that. The guy's got the big convection toaster oven, and he's laying them out there and you know michael's like well can i just get everything on my yeah (laughs) and it's one of the it's this is where we we've we peel back some of the layers to stanley we stanley can actually get excited about something and this is what he crossword correct and this is what he gets excited about yeah what's interesting about this to me is he gets excited about this but you remember in the first season when michael said i have a big surprise and he comes back from service station. <laughs> yes. Which is on the bag with the ice cream with sandwich. The ice cream right. sandwich. And yeah. Stanley says, I hope that's not the big surprise. This would intimate to me that that would be a pretty big surprise for Stanley. If a pretzel means that much to him, bringing in a bunch of ice cream sandwiches At the end should of the have day. hit the bill, right? Sure. I think, that's, I think it's intriguing because when I first saw that, I was like, look, if somebody brought me an ice cream sandwich and I worked in a boring office, I'd be pretty good with that. Quite frankly, especially if it was a Trader Joe's uh, chocolate brownie coffee ice cream sandwich. <laughs> I want to thank my girlfriend for introducing me to those. Hopefully she will appreciate the extra pounds that they will lead to. <laughs> but uh, we also had Diwali. Oh, man. Old Diwali. I love Diwali for multiple reasons, one of which is <laughs> Michael telling 
his real estate agent on their what second or third yes. date that it's a costume party and she shows up dressed up like a cheerleader <laughs> slutty cheerleader according oh, to pam yeah oh my gosh and let's not forget carol being her name is yeah. also steve carell's wife That's nancy correct. walls now nancy carell who's helped him create a number of things she had a short run on saturday night live carol still that has got to be a funny household because steve carell so. comes across just like a very naturally humorous individual probably effortlessly so because he's so over the top on camera i bet you it's the opposite off camera i'd say he does it without even trying to probably yeah. and she probably does as well and i also think they're probably not as funny at times too so oh, I I, they, they probably roll their eyes at one another more than they do anything else yeah you mean at each other's jokes yes yeah so, yeah i could have come up with something better than that but diwali's just another one of those moments where michael scott proposes because of talking to Kelly's parents yep. and getting the wrong advice. <laughs> that goes wrong, and then he tries to kiss Pam because the two of them have something in common because they're sitting outside alone. And we get one other thing that I think is really intriguing that we see a couple of times at this point. Roy comes back into the picture, David Denman. And Roy is not the overbearing jerk that he was beforehand. He's now boyfriend material you could actually look at and say okay now i could see why pam might have actually wanted something to do with this guy because he seems like a decent guy and he sees her dancing randomly with somebody else and it's almost like he's not carrying a flower but you can almost picture he's got like a daisy in his hand that like mm. droops over yeah. like it's some old cartoon well, and he just drops it on the floor turns around and walks out he's yeah because he's cleaned up he's slimmed down um and he's had he's a just huge nicer. high a slice of humble pie yeah He's just a nicer yeah. human being, and we still don't like him. No. But I think at this point, none of us thought that that was going to happen again, that Pam and Roy was going to happen again. No longer was Roy a threat to the Pam and Jim relationship that we're all so invested in. Now the threat is in Stanford, and it's named Karen. Yeah. So we go from Diwali. And you also have the uh, double drive home where you have Karen driving drunk Jim, who's in the back seat. And this is the episode where Jim gets the bike, just dives into the bushes. Yes. And, of course, Josh is riding a bike to work, too, because, of course, he is. Jim rides a bike to work. Andy is drunk and has, like, a twin air mattress. He's like, you can share part of this. And Jim's like, I'm good (laughs) because it's a twin air mattress. Like, nah, not, not, not rolling that way. So Jim's in the back seat, and also Michael Scott's being driven home by Pam after the kiss, and he's in the back seat as well. So you've got Jim and Michael Scott in the back seat to end this episode. So it's all good, and then it's time for the branch closing episode, which is a turning point episode because it's going to bring a couple of characters back where they need to go. And I will say this. There are a lot of shows that would not have been able to pull off multiple settings with Jim working elsewhere and still make it interesting to watch both. And I think that Schur and Greg Daniels and everybody that was associated with The Office did a pretty doggone good job, Paul Lieberstein and everybody, of making Stanford worth watching. Even though we really only knew, what, four characters? We knew Josh a little bit. We knew Karen, we knew Andy, and we knew Jim. And then there was a bunch of other people just hanging around, even though we're about to meet a few more of them when they come back to Scranton. But when it's when you hear, when you first watch this episode, and you hear that they're closing Scranton, did you actually believe Scranton was going to close? No. Me either. 
I mean, I didn't know how they were going to get there exactly. And they went an interesting way, which was to make Josh out to be a jerk. And you get a great, great gym line at the end of the episode, which another indicator of Michael Scott's ascent into humility and humanity and total rootability. And that is, say what you want about Michael Scott. He would never do that, which is screw over the company, use that offer to get another job. Stepping stone. That Michael Scott would never treat it that way. Whatever you want to say about his business acumen or lack thereof or screwing around or movie Mondays. (laughs) How about Pam Pam making like 15 bags of microwave popcorn (laughs) and only one person takes it. She's holding the whole tray. She's like, anybody else? Of course, no. And then she sits down with 14 bags of microwave popcorn to watch Varsity Blues. 30-minute installments of City Blues. Absolutely incredible. (laughs) But Michael Scott at this point becomes the boss that you wanted. And you also got another moment back all the way back in the convention episode, which is where Jim sits down with Michael in that hotel room. And Michael's really upset. And he's more upset, I think, that Jim left and that Jim's seems to be doing well mm-hmm. in Stanford. And he feels like he's been replaced because I think he likes Jim. I think he wants to like he wants Jim to like him back. And then Jim says, hey, I didn't leave because of you. You were a great boss. I left because of Pam. Two things happen here. One, Jim says something that probably hit Michael Scott right in the heart where it needed to. The second thing that happened here is that Jim confides in Michael Scott that he left because of Pam. This is a Michael Scott that's never been able to keep a secret. (laughs) At any point in this show, here or afterwards, and Jim says the one thing that could probably get him hurt or the one thing that he would not want her to know or other people to know back in Scranton or in Stanford, he tells that to Michael Scott, not drunk. That is a moment where, just like Pam making the coffin for the bird, Jim and Michael Scott, Pam and Michael Scott, you are building this flow chart where it starts to make sense why these people actually care about one another. And Michael's response was like, Pam? Like, really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he couldn't couldn't actually, he could not believe it. But you get Jim, Karen, Andy, Martin, the convict, the ex-con, Tony and Hannah, who is, you know. Breastfeeding and Doing what she's doing in the office. And then they all show up to get their gift bags, which are basically pencils and coupons to (laughs) places from Scranton. Nifty gifties. Yes, nifty gifties. And I think another thing, did we notice from the beginning that Andy had a lot in common with Michael Scott in terms of how they acted and talked? I really didn't until this point, but now it made all the sense in the world. Yeah, it's really at this point where I start drawing the parallels between both of them and being needy and it all stemming from their childhood and the way that they were as kids and also their interactions with 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 Jim I mean uh, Andy desperately wants to be friends with the, the new cool guy that shows up at his office and Michael Scott never wanted Jim to leave because he was the cool guy at their office so this is where I'm starting to draw the parallels and see how how much alike that Andy and Michael Scott are not knowing down the road what was going to occur between those two characters <laughs> and the, the, he puts an extra layer of this on because as the Stanford branch is closing and everybody's going to Scranton, 
he says, I'm going to quickly be Michael's number two, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. by, you know, firm handshakes and never breaking uh, a handshake. Right. All that stuff. Basically mimicking everything he right. does. So he is it all. pouring it on in this thing. Yeah, but boy, he does a good job <laughs> of mimicking Steve Carell. Oh, I bet yes. they had some fun oh, doing yeah. this. The, the outtakes of some of those episodes, I'm sure, were, were just as good as what we saw. No and, doubt. And two, the interaction where Michael finally breaks, and he's just like, stop. Yeah. I know what you're doing. Yes. Like, it, it reveals humanity in both of them at that point. Speaking of which, Michael Scott figuring out from Jan that Dwight is trying to take his job. Oh, the coup. The coup, which is way back in episode three, we're sort of bouncing around because of the plot lines, but Dwight meets with Jan, knows that she likes Ann Taylor and Liz Claiborne, (laughs) which is sort of creepy, except that Jan's also like, how far is it? Like, she's still going to go to Ann Taylor for those earrings. (laughs) And then, like, Dwight orders entirely too much food, that breakfast food. Like, it all comes and it's being held by, like, everything in these people's two hands and he's like that's all me it's that's, all right here it's jo- like joey chestnuts having a meal with him another home improvement reference the episode that charles robinson who played mac on night court was in like one of one of his early episodes when he took control of benford tools he meets with tim taylor to tell tim you know we want to put more money into this show we want to put you in regional markets and we have plans to make you national but you've got to fire al and tim can't do it because of what Al means to him as a friend. And that day, before they went to the meeting, they were just like, all right, if he orders food, everything's good. If he only orders coffee, it's going to be quick, and he might fire you. So when Tim sits down, uh, the woman comes over to take his order, and she's like, okay, what do you want? And uh, he just goes, just coffee for me. And so Tim's all, like, freaking out. So he's just like, big breakfast. Give me a big breakfast. Give me the whole left side of the menu. And they bring the whole left side of the menu and put it there. And he's carrying home in the next set. Like he he walks in the door with like four or five doggy bags full of breakfast food where he was trying to keep this meeting long enough not to get fired. That was the only thing that I was thinking about watching this. But Michael playing along with Dwight's takeover right up until the end and the look on Angela's face when she watches Dwight cower and cry into the floor, begging not to be fired. Another one of those little subtle, really good office moments from the early stages. And Michael Scott, this this was a great Michael Scott episode, too. Yeah, because he offers him a peanut M&M yes. after he's had this root canal or whatever. What's your dentist Crown. name? Crentist. Uh, your oh, dentist? Crentist? No, he's like, your dentist name is yeah. Crentist. And he said, yeah, it's probably why he got into the field. <laughs> Prentice the dentist. <laughs> you would have thought Dwight would have been a little bit quicker on his feet to have come up with, oh, I don't know, any other name other than Crentice. That would not have been what would have come to me. But So you went from the convention to the coup to grief counseling to Pretzel Day and the Beat Farm to Diwali to Branch Closing and to the merger. That is how you go through, and Gay Witch Hunt opens the season. That's the first eight episodes of the third season. That's a hell of a run. Mm-hmm. Like That's impressive on a number of levels. And then you start to get, well, you're getting around the holidays. November the 30th is the convict, and that's the episode where you get prison Michael <laughs> and the trying to do the scared straight stuff. And then, of course, Martin was part of insider trading, so it was a white-collar deal. I think it's funny that he was trying not to do the race thing, and immediately it is the black guy that turns out to be 
the criminal in this case. He's like, why did it have to be the black guy? <laughs> <laughs> name me one black guy, and I'll name you. What is that? They go through that whole thing. He says he mentions Danny Glover. Mention one oh, good Danny white Glover, guy, that's- <laughs> and I'll give you one good black guy. Another thing that's interesting oh. about this episode, if you look at the those who wrote these episodes, you went from Greg Daniels to Paul Lieberstein, Toby. Uh, to Jennifer Salato, who's really talented, to B.J. Novak, who's Ryan, to Mindy Kaling, of course, who is Kelly, to Michael Schur, who does branch closing, who will go on to create Parks and Rec, The Good Place, uh, a number of just fantastic shows, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And then Episode Nine, The Convict, is written by two guys by the names of Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, who are pretty well-known when it comes to this series and other series that would follow. But this is one of those episodes because of the way that they play the race deal and the way that they play the prison deal. This is what Ricky Gervais lives for is being so close to the edge that you're not sure that you shouldn't possibly turn this off because he's going to go a little bit further than you want him to go. And then there's Stephen Merchant who just put out uh, whatever it is for my family, the WWE page movie that looked like it was going to be the worst thing ever and turned out to be a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes and is being reviewed as one of the best movies of the year. And then you think, oh, Stephen Merchant was involved? Maybe I should have given this more of a chance (laughs) beforehand. (laughs) It still looks miserable to me. And then we go to the Benihana Christmas episode. Oh. And Christmas episodes can suck in a lot of shows because sometimes they lean too much on being hardy sometimes they lean too much on is santa real or not they do all of these little things i don't like holiday episodes in general i think halloween episodes of shows are often terrible brooklyn 99 is the best of all time they do it every year thanksgiving episodes are brutally bad all the time christmas episodes can be just a little bit much from time to time this one was not Benny Hanna Christmas. No, I was I was about to say a, a few minutes ago. I always look forward to the holiday themed office episodes, whether if it was Christmas or Halloween or any time they were outside going to a restaurant. So we get two of them with Benny Hanna Christmas. We we get the Christmas episode at a restaurant. Yes, and this one was directed by the late <laughs> Harold Ramis. Yes, indeed. Who, of course wrote and directed stripes ghostbusters what a funny dude unfortunately ghostbusters 2 and yeah that wasn't not so a lot much. yeah i mean harold ramus was harold ramus and bill murray and dan Aykroyd and that crew yeah that is talent on a completely different level and you see his name attached to this and you're just like okay all right at this point the office had attracted everybody in comedy that mattered Everybody that was growing up in comedy, when you go and you start to look at the comedies that were coming about at this point in time and the ones that were about to, all of them had something in common, and that is Groundlings or Second City or uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. It was sketch troops. It was improv troops, and it was improv guys that were breaking out of improv comedy and doing different things. Carell, Nancy Walls. Uh, half of this cast, I don't think Krasinski did, but most of the folks from this show came from that. And that would become a recurring theme when you start looking at 30 Rock and all of these shows, Parks and Recreation. Every one of these people had a very similar background, and it became, okay, they are versatile performers. 
they can ad lib that sometimes is going to be better than what's on our script. And in the writing process, they can contribute. Like it's a it's a better, it's a more natural feel because they were all coming from the same place. Harold Ramis, Greg Daniels, all of these people had that in common. And I think it's one of the reasons why we look at all these casters at that time and say, oh, what a great ensemble cast this was. It's because that's what they're used to. They're used to being on stage with whoever showed up and making, you know, the best that they could, making oatmeal out of whatever. Right. And it worked every True time. True improvisation. Yeah. So this episode, Benny Hanna Christmas, starts with we see uh, Michael, who has uh, the relationship with Carol Stills, has survived from uh, the, the proposal at Diwali a few episodes before. And he has crudely photoshopped himself into a Christmas card with her and her children from two years before yeah. a skiing trip and put his uh, head over uh, her ex-husband's. Uh, so there's odd to begin with. And, of course, as soon as she says, no, nope, can't do this anymore, he wants Christmas canceled, and so they have to take him to Benny Hanna to cheer him up. And then, of course, there is the party planning committee, which would happen <laughs> a couple of different times throughout the series where Angela always tries to take control. Karen and Pam, they put them together in this episode mm -hmm. to work together against Angela to create a, a different Christmas party. Eventually, they end up with one Christmas party because they unify in the end. And then you start to think when you're watching this, the whole point of the office is finding ways at work not to work. That is the key to the entire series. It is playing hooky while being in the building. It's being on the clock and thumbing your nose at the job that's in front of you. That is where I got that incredibly pretentious article that I wrote back in college about it being basically like Mardi Gras. It's telling the authority, screw you. We're going to play games. I'm going to put office supplies in Jello. We're going to worry about parties. We're going to watch Varsity Blues on Mondays. And it's even now Michael Scott completely involved in all of it. It wasn't at the beginning. There was a major difference between Michael Scott and his office and everybody else. Now there's not. Now there's Michael Scott cries when he gets told that the uh, office is going to close down, and he's still got that selfish gene because he goes and he talks to Daryl, and he's just basically like, I'll land on my feet, not thinking about Daryl. And then he does kind of start to figure it out, and he's like, you will too. And then Daryl's like, I'll be good. Bob Vance bought the thing out. Yeah. He's going to keep everybody on staff. Bob Vance refrigeration. Yes, who Karen needed to know about because that was going to be a problem between Karen and Phyllis. And Karen and Phyllis kind of had this little thing going where – Allergic to her perfume. <laughs> thought it smelled like a funeral. Bob bought this for me at a boutique in Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> smells like real pine trees or something. I forget what she said. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go back from Jamaica. Jan is back there again. Todd Packer makes another appearance. <laughs> I'm kind of, I've never been a big Todd Packer fan. It's just a little too of much all, for yeah. me. Of all the things on that show that can make people uncomfortable, Todd Packer was the one that always made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like all the other stuff I was fine with. Remember the phone message? Or like when they were on the phone on speakerphone and Jan's yes, in the room yes. and he's talking about the carpet and drapes yeah. and all that. It's just like, whoa, we're on NBC yeah, here. He, this ain't well, Netflix. Well, yeah, HR oh, nightmare, Todd Packer. Todd Packer. He's a great salesman. Great guy. Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, and then traveling salesman. Uh, another look, this thing did a 10.12. <laughs> this is the highest rated episode to this point. 
in the show and sure helped write this episode. And it's just, look, it's a, it's another one. You have that amazing race kind of challenge that takes place trying to team up for sales calls. Um, Dwight's, you know, delivering reports to New York for Angela and he's showing up late for work. Things are starting to change on the show and we're, we've thinned out. We've gotten rid of Martin. He leaves after the ex-con episode. You, yep. The end of the episode is him with the box in his hand. We've already lost uh, Mr. Gardner. Yes. Ms. Filippelli will be leaving because of the interviews and everything that are going to happen at the end of the season. Is there anything else in sort of these? We, we, have a, we have a fleet of episodes here kind of in a row where not a whole lot happens. This is the part of the season where they've got to get to the end, so they need some funny stuff. So you have a lot of little things that are going on. Now, you do have Phyllis's wedding and some of those kinds of things going on, and you have David Wallace's cocktail party and just some funny sort of sideline stuff because eventually you have to get to this point where they're going for this corporate job and you have to figure out who cares about what and you know what's going to happen. Jim's perfect for the job, but the job ain't perfect because it means I'm going to leave Pam and I can't leave Pam. And so you get to the end of the season and basically Jim gives up this job, goes back and actually just asks Pam out finally on a regular date and Ryan gets the job and we know where that's headed. Oh, wow. Corporate Ryan is a good one. But what else here? We Some of these other episodes, the negotiation, safety training, another Harold Ramis episode there, uh, product recall. And oh, that's a great one. The cartoon watermark, <laughs> the obscene watermark. I don't know what's funnier in that one. Uh, Dwight, with his levels of credential uh, credentialing for the, the press moment when they hand the oversized check for 25 reams of paper or the woman that won't take the apology. And Michael says, I'm going to call the ungrateful biatch hotline. Oh my gosh. There's it's, so many good ones. I forgot in about one. Michael's entourage. Love entourage. The, hug it out, the hug it out deal. Yes, that's right. This is what men do. I found it doesn't work as well with women. <laughs> so now, but it's, um, we talked in the first episode about how my wife has a friend and they pretty much only communicate in office gifts. Uh, she bought her a present as a going away present. It was like a series of office magnets and it came with a receipt printed on Dunder Mifflin letterhead Uh-oh. with the watermark. Oh, on man. It. How nice. genius is that? That's it's a good way to separate. And Creed Bratton pins it on poor Debbie Brown. Creed, oh, Debbie. Creed Bratton selling off. We finally realized what his job actually is. Yeah, well, just the idea. <laughs> he sits down with Meredith at one point in one of the early episodes of season three. He puts out his hand. He's like, Creed Bratton. Like he's never met her before. He ends up like taking photos. <laughs> and Stan was like, feeling nostalgic. Yes, nostalgic. And then you see people coming in, and he's selling off CPUs he his, for four hundred dollars. Yeah, tower to his computer. <laughs> he made twelve hundred uh, bucks. Yeah. Meredith walking around trying to find out who it was that she made the the deal, the <laughs> ultimate deal. And then she gets the call from the guy, and she, can you be at my house in twenty minutes? Just leaves it alive, and like you hear the response from him on the phone and his tone of voice. He's like, "Yes, I can." So Meredith, on oh, the product recall. You know, 
Creed going through all that and and pinning it on Debbie Brown and and uh, the printing factory. And he takes up the love offering and then takes the money and pockets it and throws the the card everyone signed in the trash can by the elevators. What about Andy's girlfriend? Oh yes, at the high school. Yes, yeah, that's that's, that's a bad one. Yeah, that's not not what you're looking for. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I had a friend who made some mistakes in his life. This is another GameStop story. As a matter of fact, I recruited him into the company. He came in. He was such a good customer. He was a used car guy. So he was able to sell anything. Yeah. So he turned out to be a great manager for a while, at least. But he also liked the ladies and didn't make the best choices. And he ended up doing what you do with a lady when you're unscrupulous. And then the next day, uh, he took her to work and she worked at Burger King. So that should have been a good tip off right there that yeah. things aren't aren't all kosher here. And he's probably, I'd say he's 28, 29 at this point. I'm not positive. He might have been even 30. And then... They do the deed again the next night, and she's like, all right, um, can you take me to school? And he's like, <laughs> okay, what college do you go to? And she's like, uh, XXX High School. She was a sophomore. Wow. So this one hit a little bit close to home. Yeah. Women's appreciation. Philip, Phyllis, Philip, Phyllis gets flashed. And here comes Michael doing yet another seminar designed to get it right and gets it entirely wrong. Just like the famous Indians, the Indian people, like overhead projector presentation that we saw in that episode where he's like, Kelly is not alone. There are literally millions of people just like <laughs> Kelly. For Duali, yeah. Yes. But uh, you've, got, you've got the women at the mall and you've got Michael breaking up with Jan via voicemail as she arrives at the office because of course it can't be easy and michael scott just gets it all wrong and then we get to beach games and that's where david wallace says okay there's a job in new york and so michael thinks it's going to be him he starts looking at who's going to be his successor turns out probably not going to be him it's going to be different people that are going and it turns out to be in that final episode michael and karen and jim that go to new york and Michael leaves Dwight in charge in Scranton, at which point Dwight picks Andy as, as number two and changes everything about the office. Dwight has no chill at all. When Rain Wilson is given control in this show, it almost always goes to disaster, just like it did when he had to pick the health plan Yes, back early on. Uh, and then everybody goes up. Jan has lost her job. At this point, Melora Hardin, who yet again vastly underrated, is the way she is able to play just a pretty much consistently annoyed human being, totally straight around Steve Carell in particular, but also around Rain Wilson a lot of the time. Uh, Ryan ends up getting this job, but the best part clearly is Jim is killing it in the interview. You expect he would get the job, but I think this one was sort of easy to determine where it was going, that Jim wasn't going to get this job, even though he would be offered this job, because the best way to make someone even more sympathetic to you is to let them actually sacrifice something for something else and for someone else, and you see that later with Michael Scott's character. 
You see that even with Dwight as he continues to grow much later in the series. Right here, Jim gives up, obviously, a substantial amount of money and a life in New York. If you remember back to New York, when there were still two branches, and Karen wanted Jim to tell her, hey, come with me. And he said, hey, aren't you like 40 minutes from New York? I would go to New York. It would be great to live in New York, wouldn't it? Here, he has an opportunity to move to New York to do exactly what he suggested she should do because New York is New York. And he's going to give that up to go back to Stanford, which is what she wanted him to tell her originally, meaning Karen, because of Pam. So it's just another one of those sort of full circle moments that if you think too deeply, you end up doing what I just did. The other thing I think is funny about this is when they're in New York uh, all applying or interviewing in front of David Wallace in New York, when Michael discovers that it's Jan's job that he's applying for. And Jan's breasts. Yes, that too. <laughs> um, and it, when he tells him in the lobby before he's leaving, he's like, I, I'm going to uh, respectfully remove my name from <laughs> like he even had a chance. Right, like, oh, okay, are you sure? <laughs> And so season four comes, and it begins with Fun Run. Oh, that's a great oh, one. Yes. Fun Run uh, fun run into <laughs> Dunder Mifflin Infinity. Two exceptional episodes that begin things. Fun Run did a 9.7. This show would not do another nine for a while after this. The writer's strike famously happened right around this time as well. So you had all sorts of weird things and turnarounds happening in television. There was money issues. There were union issues. But we get the, I'm going to try to do this, Michael Scott's Dunder Mifflin Scranton Meredith Palmer Memorial Celebrity Rabies Awareness Pro-Am Fun Run Race for the Cure. For the Cure. My wife has that t-shirt, by the way. The blue shirt? Yeah. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I kind of wish I had that. And this is after Michael hits Meredith with his car. And the way he delivers the news to the office. <laughs> Stanley's like, why'd you have to phrase it like that? <laughs> they did the best they could, and she's going to be just fine. And she's infected with rabies. <laughs> and Dwight Mercy killing Angela's cat. Oh, yes. Sprinkles. Yes, there's just there's a number of different things happening at this point. And after you get through the fun run, which is just... It's the office at its best. Michael carboating with fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's everybody, everybody that you work with in a non-work environment, which is when the office is basically at its best. And then it's time to meet the new Ryan. Oh, yeah, the Dunder we... Mifflin Infinity Ryan, and of course Ryan went from being sort of okay in the first season. He was sort of insufferable even in season three when Jim came back and he went to the, they went to the same desk. Yeah, yeah. And there was that moment where Jim's like, unless you really want it, all right, thanks, man. And he just kind of like, he was very selfish. Ryan kind of, they sort of set the stage for you to watch him fail because at first he made total sense. Now, there were some great Ryan lines in season three, like the, and just think that temp agency could have put you anywhere. That's what Dwight tells them when they're drinking the uh, Boilermakers at the bar, and Ryan just says, you know, I think about that a lot. I think what, about that often. When he asked Todd Packer if he's a big William Hung fan. <laughs> Why does everyone keep asking me that? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, but, Who is that? But you knew when you saw Dunder Mifflin Infinity, this was not going to work. 
because that's not what this show is about. Ryan needed to become the tragic figure. He was able to become the stumble and fall character, the one that was going to completely disintegrate as Michael Scott is becoming more and more human, even more season by season by season. Whether intentional or not, Michael Scott became more like you and more like me and more like everybody that is listening to this show. With each season, you would have hung out with him more. From At season one, you would have egged his car. Yes. Season two, maybe you would have – I'm not sure what you would have done with him in season two. Maybe you would have uh, gone and said, yeah, I'll hang out with you, made sure he was stuck with the tab and left. Season three, all right, we'll go to Chili's. We'll go to Chili's. Season four, you're sort of starting to root for this guy. He's still got some problems, but he's starting to get there. And then Jim and Pam is finally beginning to make more sense. Now it's time to sort of get these obstacles out of the way. And unfortunately for Toby, who tried to ask Pam out in season three, awkward. <laughs> Paul Lieberstein is the most awkward oh, character yes. on as awkward a show this side of Curb Your Enthusiasm as we've ever seen on TV. Toby Flenderson cannot just recite a line. That character has to stumble and mumble, and it makes it so brilliant, especially like when he walks up to ask Pam out and she gets that phone call. And then finishes it up, and Toby has no idea what to even say. It's the what, most what hardest thing in the world to watch. Um. <laughs> I mean, he's like Milton from Office Space. <laughs> he's like Steven Root's character from Office Space. And he's an HR rep in a small paper company. And I continue to wonder, what? And maybe this, there's an HR rep listening right now. What does he do all day? <laughs> I know Michael Scott's in that office and Dwight Schrute, so there's probably a lot of things to do. Well, we learn later that he's constantly taking complaints from Dwight aimed at Jim. So well, that's part of it. Also, we forgot to mention that Jim wanted to try and sort of dozen and, and tease Andy the same way he did Dwight in the very first episode of season three. So he pulls the Jello prank, and that's where you see Andy's anger and Andy not be able to take that's a right. joke. And that's when you recognize, and I think that's even when Jim recognized, maybe Dwight wasn't all that bad. And then you get the you get the next episode in the convention where he's just like, you know, I was starting to feel real sorry for Dwight. and starting to miss Dwight. And then he opened his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Still just, and this is the part of the show where multiple characters, but Krasinski in particular, uh, get really adept at looking into the camera to look at us and just yes. kind of give us the, yeah, I know exactly what you're thinking kind of moment. Right, because when, when the prank that sets Andy off for good, where he punches a hole in the wall, the look on Jim's face is that's an award-winning look into the camera. Yeah, it is. And there's the meme, there's the famous gift that everybody tweets out of Jim's face. That actually came in season three. And it's the episode where Scranton's getting closed. It's a branch closing episode, and Andy's just like, in your face! Like Jim doesn't work in Stanford already. And that's when Jim looks in the camera and does that. So if you're ever wondering what episode it is, it's season three, right before my voice changed. <laughs> I'm talking a lot these days. Uh, second Life. Second, second life. Yes, just second life's a nut. Look, we had Call of Duty in season three. Yep. Second life was an actual <laughs> thing. I actually was after, it an actual yes, thing. I, after, did, I thought it was something that was made up for the show. That no, shows you how tough 
tight end I was to the gaming, gaming community. Second Life started on June 23rd, 2003. Ten years later, had one million regular users. 2017, it still had between 800 and 900,000 wow. users. It was one of the first sort of massively multiplayer online role-playing games which would find its zenith in a little game called World of Warcraft, which has been responsible for probably a lot of broken marriages and a lot of sold-out Doritos and Fritos shelves <laughs> in the middle of the well, night I, at convenience I, stores. Mountain Dew, too. I must yes, confess, well. I, I'm like David Reed. I did not know that that was a real so thing. It's I thought that was something fabricated for the show. It's basically it was The Sims just online. Uh, yes and no, because The Sims, in The Sims, at least the way that I remember The Sims, you were sort of creating a life for these people to live in. Second life is you. You're controlling the character, determining what it does, interacting with other people. It's like having a second life. It's living digitally as opposed to walking outside and talking to people. So it's having a second life yet having no life at all. Mm -hmm. uh, correct. Okay. And there were a whole lot of, I remember 2020 did a, a big special on how people had gotten so addicted to it that they'd fallen into depression when they realized it wasn't their actual life that they couldn't break Ugh. away from their second wow. life character because that second life character had achieved what they never could. Or in this case, Jim, who created one to follow <laughs> Dwight, is a f sports writer in Philadelphia. He plays guitar. Right. It's Whereas Dwight does exactly everything <laughs> except he can fly. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> but second life was a thing. And it's interesting because they're right there on the cusp. This is... Four years after Second Life had hit, but it was when it was probably at its zenith. Because unfortunately, social media was about to be a real thing. MySpace was there, and Facebook, you were just starting to notice Facebook was out there. Twitter was not a thing yet. But you look at now, and this is a sports reference, but Cliff Kingsbury in the story that came out yesterday about the Arizona Cardinals where he said yeah. every 30 minutes he's going to give his players – uh, social media and phone breaks during meetings because he can see them jittering and he just wants them to be comfortable. And there have been studies that have come out that people that are growing up now, this generation, is growing up to not be able to function properly mentally without looking at their phones every 15 to 20 minutes. That, to me, is as scary as anything in the world. That, to me, also tells me that the Arizona Cardinals are not going to win anything anytime soon. Or they, or he's on the cusp of something great, and he's thinking progressively, and people are going to want to play there. But well, you, can't, you can't take, you can't take a, a break during the middle of a football but game. But I will suggest this. <laughs> Bill Belichick's not allowing people to have phones every 30 uh, minutes. I'm pretty sure yeah. the Patriots are still winning games. No, no. no. So, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a sideline. But it is intriguing that, that Second Life actually finds its way into this show. Um, Karen, we're getting sort of to the end. Chair Model's a great episode towards oh, yes, the middle yes. of the fourth season. One of my all-time favorite episodes. Michael, again, still trying to find kind of his soulmate, and then Dwight trying to find a chair model. This is a great Rain Wilson showcase episode. Yeah, because he goes to uh, extreme lengths to try to find this woman of Michael's dreams, only to find that much like Ed Truck, she was decapitated in a car wreck uh, as she was inebriated or whatever, and 
They go visit her tombstone and sing "Bye Bye Miss American Pie." Don McLean and uh, but yeah, that's a really really good one there. A couple of episodes before you had local ad, uh, which was another one. good episode directed by Jason Reitman. Jason Reitman who directed Juno, mm. um, Up in the Air, very talented director. Uh, also associated with the Ghostbusters film. Uh, Joss Whedon did the Branch Wars episode where you had Karen and Utica and you had Scranton and the Panty Raid and all of that. Joss Whedon, who created Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, who directed and wrote the first Avengers film. A lot of heavy hitters here. And then you get Paul Feig, who does Survivor Man. (laughs) And Paul Feig is another guy that has done a ton of movies. He was part of Ghostbusters. He did the film Spy with Melissa McCarthy. A couple of years ago, which turned out to actually be good for a Melissa McCarthy movie. That that's like two for twelve, I think, in the last few years of any of that stuff that's been good. Steve Carell wrote that episode as well. He wrote Survivor Man. So you're starting to see more and more cast members being included, but you're also starting to see a lot of directors that are about to go on to do huge things that are associated with this little show on NBC. This becomes sort of a crux and almost like a centrifuge for comic talent that's about to explode elsewhere. In one episode that we cannot gloss over. Dinner party, right? It's my one it's of my fantastic. absolute favorite episodes. And it's funny, after we recorded the first episode and I told everyone not to watch The Office on uh, Comedy Central. Right, then you did it and you I sent a text home. message that night and said, I broke the rule, guys. <laughs> I, because I went home and for whatever reason, it ended up on the comedy comedy channel and it was the dinner party. And I can't not watch the dinner party. It is such a great piece of television. I will watch it even being heavily edited on Comedy Central. It is also hard to watch Michael and Jan in this episode. It's one of those cringeworthy... Train wreck. Oh, it's tough. One of my favorite lines, when they're arguing about children and he's had the vasectomy reversed back, forth, snip, snap, snip, snap... I bought this condo to fill with children. <laughs> it's fantastic. It is. <laughs> oh, and what he's showing off where he sleeps. <laughs> and his Curl up on this puppy. <laughs> and, of course, his TV. Oh, yeah. Yes, he Needs treated himself. Just push that against the wall right there. And you get the TV. Remember the TV episode from the third season when it's just like, I bet you don't have a TV like this in prison. Actually, ours is better <laughs> than the one they have basically on the media cart that you see there in the episode. And then, of course, you've got uh, Dwight's babysitter. You've got the babysitter showing up as the date in that episode as well. Yeah, it's... uh, Purely (laughs) carnal, that's all you need to know. Yeah, so you went from dinner party to chair model. Those were two... That was a back-to-back April April 10th, April 17th. If you're not watching The Office, I don't know what you're doing with your life at this point. And a chair model where, where Pam tries to set him up with her landlord... And he's at the coffee shop, and he sees this beautiful blonde woman, and he's like, she's terrible at describing herself. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the person that I spend way too much time just killing time on the Starbucks employee Reddit, listening to baristas talk about customers, basically. (laughs) I I I didn't know that was a thing, but okay. Share. It's very similar to... Second life? (laughs) No, no. People will come up just idiot. There are a lot of jerks in this world. That's something I'm starting to figure out. Sure. So they come up to like the mo. They come up and they expect that their drink's going to be made first, and it's not. And so they drink it, and it's totally wrong. And it's supposed to be a hot coffee, and it's got ice all in it or whatever. And they drink half of it, and they're just like, "This is not what I ordered." And and also this label says Jason on it. Well, what's your name, Karen? <laughs> 
well, that's probably not for you. Well, mine should have been next. Like that kind of stuff. It's just like, no, that's not the woman that you're there for, Michael. Like you're looking at the wrong thing here. Pam's blind date went about as well as the date that she had with the cartoonist the episode before that tries to look down that top that she got off online. Another one of those examples of how things have changed. Kelly's really into online shopping. Yeah. Like that's sort of, at that point, it's a little bit different. It's not something that we're all doing. Now, of course she is. I've ordered three things from Amazon this week, Pam. Get with it. She keeps the clothes even though she's not going to wear them and she tries to cover herself up because, well, the cartoonist is creepy. He's like, hey, you get it. And then he looks straight down her shirt. Yep. <laughs> then I'm just like, have I ever been caught doing that? I hope, I hope my eyes are better than Fashion that. show at lunch. Fashion show at lunch. That's right. <laughs> Kelly Kapoor, when she goes back and meets Jim, when Jim comes back to the office, and she's like, I have so much to tell you. And she just talks about Katie Holmes' baby. Yeah, and Brad and, Pitt and Angelina right, Jolie's baby. Right, right. And then uh, Jim's like, oh, no, that's awesome. What's new with you? I just told you. Yes. Second life. Is it? Is it? Is it bad that I I just think that all females under the age of 20 now are Kelly Kapoor? Like, I think that's what they talk about. That's what they think about. I really hope not. I'm afraid I'm right. I'm afraid you're right, too. <laughs> Every I mean, Everybody under 20 is the girl you don't want to talk to at a party. Cecily Strong, Saturday Night Live character. Because that's kind yeah. of what Kelly Kapoor is, except yeah. she doesn't bring in the politics. Yeah, I mean, she I mean, she has crazy ex-girlfriend. Like, that. she has that corner marketed. Market cornered. New York cocaine. Ryan already falling, clubbing, total jackass. Like, nothing likable about this guy at all. And Michael and Dwight go up there to see him. Michael and Dwight, humans, Ryan, I don't know what Ryan is. But if you remember, they well, did about the night at the Roxbury. In, so. they, did, yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they did like a, that's funny. They did like a, uh, a night at the Roxbury deal in the third season where mm-hmm. him and Andy are singing What Is Love, Hadaway's song. Right. And this is basically a night at the Roxbury just looking at Ryan and how out of control he is in his life. And you feel sort of sad about this. And then Toby finally lets it out that he likes Pam, which, why? But you you were afraid this was going to happen, and then he's like, I'm going to Costa Rica. Another Milton office space moment <laughs> And jumps right the there. fence because they've worked extra, and That's the right. gates are locked. That's right. They're it's- trying to call Hank. They can't remember Hank's name. That's right, hey, security guard, buddy. Hey, yeah, he's like, hey, champ. Um, the the whole thing with with Toby is like, I'm moving to Costa Rica. My dad had a close friend, and my entire like childhood, all this guy talked about was he was saving his money and he had plotted everything out, and he was moving to Costa Rica. And by the time he hit about 45, he finally did it and was there for like two months. It was the most miserable two months of his life, and it didn't turn out too well for Toby either. Stanley was going to travel with his wife when the branch was going to close. He was elated. He was so excited. But I'm going to use my severance. We're going to travel. It's like, how much money do you have, Stanley? I've been waiting for this day since I was 18 years old. (laughs) I'm just thinking about it. I was just like, how much is the severance from Dunder Mifflin going to (laughs) be for Stanley or for (laughs) any of the employees there in that office, and you're just going to blow all that money? It seemed really interesting to me. Stanley... In the next episode, after they go to New York, we do the cocaine and all that, st- all that deal, and Toby says Costa Rica, Stanley s- gets mad, flips out, 
on Michael Scott. And so now, not only does Andy potentially have an anger problem, Stanley's had just about enough of Michael Scott. Stanley, look, Stanley has like every 10 episodes, he's got something that's really important that happens. There's something that you're memorable, whether it's Pretzel Day or a racial deal from like one of the early, like from the first season. And then here, attitude adjustment Stanley, basically. And man, there is, that leads to a showdown about three quarters of the way through the episode where Michael clears the office. And again, a pointed out by you earlier in this podcast where Michael's character is growing. Yes. And he's just, he says, look, I know you don't respect me. I, I, I get it, but you cannot talk to me like that in this office. I am your boss. You may not like it, but we can't have that here. See, it's really interesting because the office can be unapproachable, but can also be incredibly approachable and incre- incredibly relatable in that our boss in this building we're all very close friends with Brad Willis. Sure. Hugely. I mean, I'd do anything for the guy. You guys would too. And, but there is also a line where he is still the supervisor of the building. There are conversations I've had with him where the friend thing is not there because we have to talk about business. We have to talk about either the future or we have to talk about something that's gone down or an idea. And you would almost expect that if you were interviewing for a job with him, even right now, that he would just close the door and turn around and shake my hand and say, hey, Brad Willis, nice to meet you. Like he's never met me before because there has to be that. In order to have respect, your friends, I mean, we went out and did friends trivia a couple of weeks ago with, with him and his sister. We're not going to talk about how that finished. We were number, <laughs> look, we had it won. We were in first place after 10 rounds, and then you have to wager everything like it's Final Jeopardy. So yeah. we played for two hours, wagered, got it wrong, and didn't even make the top nine at the end of it, even though we had the lead wait, going wait, into the final question. You had to wager everything, or you chose to wager everything? Well, we had to wager enough that if somebody doubled, we would still have a win by oh, one. You had knowledge of the other folks' Yeah, they went through all of the points. So yeah. you knew we have to minimum wager this, or we're out. Yeah, and so the category is guest stars. So we're like, oh, okay, well, great. I mean, I remember all the guest stars, and I can name the actors and all these things. How many how many pounds did Brad Pitt's character say he lost when he first walked in the door in season blah 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 blah? So we had to figure a line and how many how a specific amount of pounds. It's like guest stars. That's not really no. That's that very category speci- is a little bit. Yeah, that's uh that that's that's a script question. Yeah. The thing was the the prize was a free large pizza from old Chicago. So I wasn't going to use that anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't talk it to you. Thank you. Okay. You're you're trying to act like that's not a great prize. (laughs) The best part about that, as we continue to be off topic for a minute, is that there was another couple there that was taking it real serious. Oh. And they got one question right that nobody else Because there was a large pizza from old Chicago. Well, no, they had played it before. And they were just like, oh, we got this one right because we got it wrong last time. You guys got it wrong. So immediately we were just like, all right, well, we want you to lose because this ain't cool. And so they did lose. They missed some of the questions, and we got them right and all this. When they got Final Jeopardy wrong, the wife stormed out on the husband, left him behind after slamming the table, like furious with him, like we're headed to the courthouse to divorce as soon as we leave here. And then the guy, like, didn't tip. They left, like, the to-go food that they had ready to go, and, like, he followed her out there. And I was just trying to wonder – 
bet that is a lovely relationship. If Friends trivia on a Monday night at sets Old Chicago off, is it, off of its axis, axis, yes, yes. So this, this prompts the question in my mind: Is after this podcast runs its course, are we going to be competing in an office trivia contest somewhere? There was one in and June. Will I there found be out. a large pizza on the line? Oh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> there was one in June last June here in town. There are like four or five friends ones coming up within the next few months. I think there's going to be another office trivia contest in the summer, and yes, the three of us will be a part of it. I won't let anything stand between me and a tavern thin from old Chicago. There you go. All right. All right. Last two episodes of the season after Did I Stutter. Um, we also have <laughs> Andy's car and Dwight trying to lowball him. Oh, X Earth! Oh, yeah. You Andy drive and an Angela. X Earth, and Andy and Angela as well. Yes, yeah, the X Terra thing. Just the idea that he drives the X Terra, and you had uh, the the moment again, another car moment from season three. It just came to me, is um, Michael Scott and the LeBaron, like having the car with the convertible. He's going to hand the keys to Dwight, and that's when he has enough of Dwight. When Dwight's like, you know, not really the car that I want, and that's when he flips. Let's go back a little further with car. Uh, when Amy Adams is coming in selling purses. Yes. And he is having Ryan the temp help him clean out the car for a ride, and there are all these filet of fish boxes. <laughs> yes. He's out of Dracar Noir, so he takes the, you know, he unscrews the bottle and puts that on his neck. All you got to do is know, go to the, Walgreens. Yeah. It's in the corner of happy and healthy. <laughs> As we learned just yesterday. Yeah, that's yeah right. we did. Um, another car moment is Roy looking at Pam's car early in season three like pam's gotten a new car and roy's asking her all these like masculine questions she's just like i just cared about the cup holders that's right and that's why she bought the car a little Not toyota yaris are... yes it was a yaris good choice by pam you could see pam driving a yaris though i kind of want to believe that somebody like pam would drive like a saturn or a nissan Altima or something <laughs> like that that's like that's like the ideal car like the first time I ever saw a Toyota Yaris, we were on, I don't remember where it was. We were on a road trip with Titans and we went to some casino and it was like, you could win this Toyota Yaris. And I went and looked at it and it was like $11,000. And I was like, the jackpot for this slot machine up here is more than the car. It's $25,000. Like why right. would you play to win this car unless you had to walk to this casino? First thing I thought about when i see a yaris is that toyota is toyota right yes yeah. toyota made a video game that i can lift it that's what i think called yaris that was just you driving a yaris <laughs> and it was free for all xbox live subscribers really so you were able to download this game for free <laughs> and you're like awesome it's going to be another great racing game no nah, it's just you driving a yaris like through a desert it's second and, like, second dodging, <laughs> yeah like dodging bugs and dodging things and it's just you hanging out i think yaris. it's one of the few cases where a yaris has been showcased and the other one would be psych because that's, that's uh, right that's a blue Toyota Yaris. Was it like psych. was was that video game like the YouTube album that Apple forced you to have? Oh, the YouTube, oh, yeah. wanted, yeah. you never could whatever figure out how to purge off your new yes. phone. Oh, yes. I found out. I found out real quick. There was an article on Google like a day later. I'm like, this is gone. Bye bye. Yeah, this thing is trash. I don't need your hundred meg Bono 2017 joint. No, you want to give you. me Octung Baby or something like that? You can put that on my phone. <laughs> I've gotten all the U2 that I need. Last two episodes of season, job fair. Oh, yes. Yeah. Pretty solid. Pretty, pretty solid. And then, of course, goodbye, Toby. <laughs> asks He asks Pam to bring a single sheet of paper to yes. the job fair. Yes. 
Oh, my gosh. And Pam is reliving her past, going into the art room. She's uh, hey. still thinking about her art. Yeah, and she might leave, and here we go again. We've got to stretch this. Yep. We've got to find a way not to give you Jim and Pam because when we do, what else is there that we have left to give you that we have made you care about to this point in the series? And the answer is not a lot because Dwight and Angela is kind of barely there. Andy doesn't really have anything going on until Ellie Kemper joins the show, even though, I mean, there was also in season three Jim giving uh, Ed Helms terrible advice. Yes. About Pam, like yeah, singing, singing falsetto with a banjo. Yeah, singing the Rainbow Connection and singing it in Latin. and Yeah. 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 So Goodbye, a- Toby. One of my favorites. Oh, um, so good, man. Michael Scott is And we get elated. Holly, Holly Flax comes into the picture. That's one of these things that happens in this episode. But Michael is elated because his evil snail, Toby, is leaving. He's gone. And so he is not satisfied with Angela and the party planning committee with just some cake and a couple of pictures. They had one picture of Toby or whatever. So he he talks about my grandmother uh, sends me 50 bucks for my uh, birthday in a, you know, in a card every year, and she's, she's not doing you know too well with her memory. And I get several of those a year now, and I, I just remembered – I have this foot money. <laughs> he had the, the shoe money. He was going to buy a motorcycle. And he so he's getting out in his money. And Angela's like, I don't want your foot money. But this he is going money. to go no expense spared for this thing to send him off away from the campus. Yeah, and um, I'll just say two words, and I'll look to David to finish where I'm going here. Kevin Malone in Goodbye Toby is – special special stuff and yes. i don't mean special that way but i know it fits but holly thought that he was special in that way <laughs> and when you and, and one is, that's in, so perfect right because once it's implied you go back to the beginning and you're like oh oh my gosh yeah the, this this is totally plausible the shoe fits <laughs> it yes. totally does one of one of my favorite lines that i quote probably more than 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 anything else from the office it was michael directed to toby and i don't, i can't even remember what episode it was in but why are you the way you are like i say that <laughs> i find myself saying that about more and more things and people uh every single day but uh, toby I'm glad that Toby, that wasn't Toby's last show because Toby added so much fodder. Sure. Just Toby was, Toby was to Michael what the chicken was to Peter Griffin. Like (laughs) once it showed up, you know, there was going to be all this sparring going on. It was going to be great. Yeah. And it would usually just be a couple of lines. Yes. And that would be all it would take. And they'd be Ah, tremendous lines. Yeah. it, It was, it was great. You also had. We had to stretch again, so Jim's about to propose. He's asking Phyllis, I am donating money for fireworks. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just, we really like Toby. We want to celebrate. Yes. And you're going, uh-uh, here right. we go. Exactly. So Pam's going to do the training program in New York, so she's going to disappear for a quarter of a year. Yep. So that's going to separate them for a bit. Jim's about to propose to her. They've been pretty much happy throughout the season, which – I have made a point before, and we'll make this point in more detail in future episodes of this podcast talking about The Office, that the difference between The Office and Parks and Recreation was that The Office still wouldn't let you have happy endings. They would find something to make it very, very frustrating. Here, Andy proposes to Angela, and then Jim can't on top of that. 
He cuts off before he ever has the opportunity. Uh, He's got to the get to box in his hand. He has reached into his pocket. He has the box in his hand. It's that close. And then he says, "I'm going to need everybody's attention for a moment." Yeah. Yes. When I when I first watched this for the first time, I fell for it. I thought that was the moment. Sure. I thought it was. I thought it was happening. I mean, it's the season finale. Yeah. Like it's in the perfect spot for something like this to happen. Except if you really think about it, that ain't how the office works. It's the most sort I of strange I don't think moment I, a lot of times when things happen. I don't. I don't think I was I realized that yet. I was. Right. I thought the payoff was about to come. And interestingly enough, friends did this exact same thing where Ross was going to basically declare his feelings for Rachel for the umpteenth time, and Gunther, who runs Central Perk, does it first. Yeah. To Rachel, he's just like, I just wanted you to know. I don't know if that changes your plans or not. And then Ross can't do it back then because well it's just happened and you can't do it in that moment yeah. it ruins the moment so the moment is ruined here for jim you still know that this is going to end with them married like i don't think there was ever a doubt from the beginning okay these two people are going to end up together and let's not forget something else important that happened in this season finale so at some point uh phyllis comes to tell kevin she's run out of barbecue sauce and so he has to go to the grocery store, forget the name of the grocery store now, but it's probably just called grocery store. <laughs> no, it's, it's got a name. To so it had, it had a name. It's it like Flaherty's or something, but it's got a Jarity's is what it is. Um and he runs into Jan. Yeah. And Jan is with child. Yes, that's right. And so Kevin calls Michael and says, Get down to Jarity's now. You have to see this. I've run into Jan. Oh, that's great. No, come now. Sperm donor though. Yes. Sperm donor. That's right. Not Michael Scott. Thank goodness they didn't try that. You also have Angela having sex in the office. Oh, yes. Getting caught with Dwight. And Ryan gets arrested for fraud. After Beginning he, of the season, he starts Dunder Mifflin Infinity. By the end of the season, he's a cocaine-addled jackass who's about to go to jail. Who's been terrible to our beloved Jim Halpert. That's right. And uh, so Jim has the parting shot as he leaves Ryan a voicemail saying, hey, never mind about our discussion we had today. I'm sure you're tied up. Right. I mean, you think about how he treated Jim. I would say the reason he treated Jim that way is because Jim is what Ryan would be if Ryan had common sense and actually had a heart as opposed to sort of the way B.J. Novak plays it. B.J. Novak, I think the character was important, but I was also getting to the point around now where I'm good if Ryan just kind of disappears off the show. Sure. And let's not forget, just for the show's sake, I mean, this guy has risen to be the youngest VP in the company, yes. and he's never sold one office supply. Yeah. Nothing. But never we, closed a sale. I th- when they made the trip to New York to see Ryan, I, we knew something was up when he wasn't annoyed by the fact that they were there. Yeah, because he was he happy is, to see them. We knew he, something was up with yeah. him then. He was yeah. so grateful to see Dwight because he has his uh, dwarf friend there. Yes. And there's a great interaction between Dwight and him because he thinks the guy's a hobbit. And the, um, <laughs> and the but, ba- women's yeah, basketball team. Right, right. And that's the yeah. other thing that is mind-blowing in all this is the game, the juice that Dwight has with the ladies that <laughs> surfaces. And they can't get into this exclusive club. And he's got two a gal on each arm. These big, tall Amazon yeah. basketball women, and he is—it's unreal his game that shows from time to time. Remember the convention 
And uh, Jim going into into Dwight's room, he comes back out. Dwight's got a hooker. <laughs> Not knowing it's Angela. Who's shown up as Jane D, Doe. D. Yeah, shown up as Jane Doe. Speaking of Dwight, another uh, season four moment. The bed and breakfast. Oh, yes. Jim and Pam visiting Dwight's, Dwight and Moses beet farm. And it's been fashioned into a bed and breakfast. And we have, uh, what are the themed rooms? We have uh, night water and there's something else irrigation is what they did and they chose irrigation and it's got all these elbows and pipes and uh spigot handles and everything oh fun fact i always wanted to run a bed and breakfast well you probably still could dave yeah i mean you couldn't out of your place I mean, hey man event see. space and stuff like that's a big deal nowadays you want to see my checking account <laughs> well this is how you build a checking account you build a very modest bed and breakfast you want to see my credit score? <laughs> Scare money don't make money. I Damn. think that's the other thing about Dwight. Your credit score ain't bad, man. <laughs> my, my money's knees constantly shaking. <laughs> that's, the, that's the other thing that it's intriguing about Dwight Schrute in this is that he doesn't need to be the best salesman in the building. He doesn't need to work there. He owns a 60-acre beet farm. He's that's got right. money. He's got land. I mean, beets are needed. Those are the money beets. Some people eat them. They are the money beets. They are. And he's still rolling in earth tones. That's, That's not right. going to change. That's right. So at the end of season four, where we come to a close this week as we move to, to five and, and six and maybe five, six, and seven next week, um, Holly has arrived. Holly, who becomes one of the great characters on the show yep. because she is Michael's full redemption. Mm -hmm. That until she came into his life, he couldn't become the person that he needed to be fully. He was already on the transition, but it was her that sort of revealed the real michael scott and i think that's relative to all of us like until that person comes into our lives i think we're all sort of we might be 95 percent of who we're supposed to be but 100 percent, we might need a helper we might need oh, a help no along that way sure and until you actually find that person you don't realize how screwed up you might actually be <laughs> in a lot of cases especially when you find like seven wrong ones think they're the right <laughs> ones and then you end up 50 percent of where you need to be and you've lost 30 percent along the way Angela and Dwight is still happening. Ryan's in jail. Jim has not proposed to Pam, but because he came so close, you can already say, oh, in season five, this is our storyline. How long is it going to take before we get there? How do you feel about the office at the end of season four? I, well, I, like I said, I thought, I thought that the proposal was about to happen and then it didn't happen. And I, I mean, I still left th that season intrigued. I still knew that they were going to be together, but again, uh, there was a curveball thrown at us and I didn't know how it was going to happen. So wanting to see how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen, intrigued me enough to keep on again on Netflix. I just kept on rolling. <laughs> I would say season three was better than four. Three Agreed. was so consistent, and right. four was very up and down. Yeah. The, high episodes, the high episodes were great, mm -hmm. but there were some mediocre ones that are are substantially less funny, less interesting sure. than others. At this point after season four, it's clear that in poker terms, I'm all in. All the chips are pushed in the middle of the table, and little did I know that season five yes. would probably be my favorite Correct. season of the entire series and there are so many episodes that we will have to discuss. Moments, lines, 
scenarios, plots, We may plot go twists. through all of them. We may have to go through all it's of them. We may so not be able to good. do five, six, and seven. We might have to do five and six because five's going to take some time. Five And five's really impressive to me because four was uneven. You started to say, oh, are they losing it? Mm-hmm. And then five, they fully hit. It's like they went on steroids. I mean, this is the one that got so many award nominations. And if you just look through the episodes, I'm just sort of scrolling through them right now. And I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to go watch that tonight. I can't wait to watch that this weekend. I yeah. can't go. I can't wait to, to do all this stuff. There is so much TV right now. And, of course, we're in the middle of the NCAA tournament. And there's the draft is coming up. It's pretty cool still to be able to go back and watch these episodes, though. It's not hard to find time to watch The Office and watch prepare for Watch two or three these. episodes last night. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, well, what am I going to watch that's new? Because so much of this content that's out now, I'm just not cool with it anymore. So people have asked me, they're like, what are you watching? I get that message from time to time. (laughs) What I started watching this week, maybe we'll end up doing a large podcast on this, but I'm in 2005 right now, so I've got a ways to catch up because this show is still on right now. So this is going to take a minute. I am watching Doctor Who. Oh, for okay. like the first time ever, I've tried it before and not made it very far. I'm committing myself because I know language and content and all that kind of stuff are going to be good. It's beloved. A lot of people love it. I see TARDIS stickers on people's cars sure. all the time. I want to understand and like this show, and so I'm going to give it a real run. So I'm in the midst of the Christopher Eccleston first season of the reboot from 05 right now. I liked it better when it was Quantum Leap. <laughs> so I'll just stick with that. Scott Bakula. And Dean Stockwell. That's right. Yeah. So, gentlemen, we just went through the office in great detail in seasons three and four. And so if you're following along with us and listening to the podcast with us, you need to take some real time and hit up season five this week. And you need to hit us up at David Reed Radio. You're at Red B, B Tennessee. Tennessee. Yep. And I am at Jmart Zone. And we are all at 104.5 The Zone. Hit us up and tell us about season five and also tell us what we just boneheaded missed about seasons three and four because it's so hard to keep it all uh, in check and season five is going to be hard. I'm going to take notes on every episode as I'm watching season five because I think that we can spend an hour solid just talking about all those episodes and getting into it. So if there's something you want us to cover, some character we haven't given enough love to or enough hate to, let us know on those Twitter accounts. We appreciate the support, obviously. Sorry for the delay over the past few weeks, but we will have another one next Friday. Uh, same Scranton time, same Scranton channel. For David, for Rhett, I'm Jason. This has been the Pop 6 on 104.5 The Zone Podcast. You a big William Hung fan? Why does everybody ask me that? Who the hell is that? <laughs>